We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following the journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred and five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey into Comics. Journey into Comics 257. I am your host, Nate. Today, joining me, as always, the co-host. You guys know him and love him the most. Welcome back, Tyler. Yee. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy uh, roughly 48 hours in my life. Yeah, tell us about uh, that. Well, f- first of all, I do want to mention that a part of that 48 hours, I actually got to see you in human person mm-hmm. and we're going to discuss that in a second but yesterday is kind of pressing because it changed the course of the network forever yesterday which would be the 18th of october or of 18th of august will forever be known as the blackout no dungeons with dudes dropped yesterday mm-hmm. yesterday i had no power for the entirety of my day the absolute entirety of my day so how did that happen, Nate? What happened? Let's get into it. So, I woke up to insane storm. I mean, it was fucking shaking the house. And I was like, man, it's storming hard. And Sarah was getting up to go to her lessons. So, I was talking to her, and she was really getting stressed out about the weather. And I was like, yeah, it's actually real. Like, it's starting to kind of worry me how bad it is out there. It was violently windy. The rain was, I mean, just pouring so hard. Lightning strikes every few seconds. And she was just like in the hustle and bustle of getting ready. And she's like, I got to make some copies. So she walked to the back of the house to start making copies. And as she did, dude, I swear to God, it was like, it was like somebody walked into my breaker took every single or like took like the main main switch for my house and was just flickering it like a light switch yeah okay and there were weird noises happening and it was like a fucking horror movie dude because the storm it was like I, I thought like maybe we we're about to get hit by a tornado is what level it was kind of feeling as this is happening i started to walk towards the back of the house to like see if, if the girls were all right and they claimed to have heard a loud crash I didn't personally hear it, so I can't comment on if it was loud. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was 
a lot of my tree in the backyard fucking falling onto the house and uh, didn't damage anything. Luckily, the most of the branches that fell were already dead pieces, so they were light and they, you know, just kind of bounced off and whatnot. Uh, but we had no power and we immediately called. And the weird thing is we called for two reasons. One, to report a power outage, but two, right after the power went out in our utility closet where our refrigerator and hot water heater are, Mm -hmm. we smelled like burnt hair. And I was like, fuck, is there going to be a fire? Like, what the hell? Or is there a gas leak? Has something happened? Like... Is this just coincidence? You know, Mm -hmm. we kind of were freaked out anyways. So we called. Nipsco came out. The dude was a gas technician, but he was also trained in electricity. He checked our whole house, which was nice. He's like, you guys don't even have a hint of a gas leak. So that's really good to know. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he he reported the, the situation that was behind our house, which was an entire line was down. A tree had just fucking taken it out. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we just waited around all day pretty much in the dark. Well, I mean, it wasn't dark during the daytime. That kind of doesn't make any fucking sense. It was just weird because it was like occupying our time differently. We were conserving our phones because it's like you don't want to run out of juice if you don't know when you're going to get power back on. Right. Well, at some point I had to run V home because today, Monday, is Ollie's day at school. So she's got to take him in the morning. And he was going home tomorrow night, or yesterday, last night. God, I can't talk. Fuck. <laughs> so anyways, I, I dropped her off, and Sarah stayed because I was like, listen, if the power comes back on, you're going to have to be in charge of making sure the breaker's good and making sure that if you smell smoke, get the fuck out of the house, mm-hmm. get the cat out of the fucking house, you know. And she's like, all right, I can do that. So I dropped V off. I immediately come back. And I come back to a dark house, mm-hmm. and Sarah's got a couple, like, flashlights and lantern-type things on, candles going and whatnot. And, it, you know, it's a nice environment or whatever. And we were hanging out and whatnot, and Sarah's like, honestly, I'm really dog-ass tired. I'm going to go lay down. If there's nothing to do, I'm just going to fucking sleep. So she, she laid on the couch, and I stayed up and kind of, like, had it in my mind, because even though my area is safe, it was like, I don't want to leave our house with no power unattended to through the night. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay up until I know the power's on. So we, you know, she slept and I stayed up and I got to see some cool shit because I got to watch Nipsco come out and fix the lines and stuff. And these guys didn't realize I was sitting there listening to their conversation. I'm in the fucking dark, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was hilarious. They were just just the banter with the guys and whatnot. They worked very timely. I mean, they were there from like 1030 till like just before midnight and got the entire thing relined and powered to the houses, the three houses on our block, which was me and my two neighbors, mm-hmm. were the only power, the only houses without power. I, so I meant to that prevented. I meant to ask you ahead. guys on sat on uh, yesterday if if anyone else around you was at without power, or if it was just you guys. Yeah, old lady Carol was without power. She's my ninety-five-year-old next-door neighbor, and she's hysterical. She walked over to me and she's like, "I heard you guys leave this morning." That was just Sarah leaving. We were still at the house. I heard you guys leave this morning, and I I, I went to ask if the other neighbor had power, and he said he didn't. And and I looked, and I I, I didn't see anything on in your house, so I guess you guys didn't. <laughs> and then I told her I was like, "Well, if it, it if it's going to be overnight before they get the power back on, I'm gonna I'll come over and let you know, you know, or whatever." Mm-hmm. 
and it was on and I, I looked I was gonna walk over and I looked and she was in her front room reading so I was like well she obviously knows the powers on right cool. you know but my neighbors on the other side were just they're so like heritage all the way man they were literally just having a tailgating party in their fucking driveway bumping the music and their escalade like mm. <laughs> it's it was kind of annoying honestly yeah. but at the same time it was just like you do you dude you do you you know um but it was nice you know power finally came back on and i was like oh god ac i missed you <laughs> you know <laughs> that's the most important thing but in that all happening we couldn't do a show yesterday i couldn't rightly record a podcast with no power no wi-fi no way to even really contact you we could i guess we could have done it through the phone but i don't know if that really would work out so well so Mm-mm. anyways um here we are tyler we're now here on monday recording a late show on it's monday afternoon people on monday people are like where is where's jic buckles no jic today is everything okay yes buckles everything is fine as you've heard me retell the story i was just in the blackout my man mm-hmm. um which which you and i were talking about yesterday it's really funny that you guys got hit i mean because obviously i'm south of you and the cell that that went through where you live also hit me, but it had almost completely broken up by the time it hit my house. It rained for probably, I don't know, hour and a half, but I mean, a little bit of lightning and thunder, but nothing that would, you know, I love storms. So normally I'll get up and like, I'm that Indiana dad that walks out on my deck to watch the tornado, you know? Hell yeah. You know? And I, I think, yeah, I, I got I got up to get a drink, and I just happened to stop, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's raining. Okay, I'm going to go back to my couch, you know? It wasn't... Yeah. I, like, like normally it's worthwhile for me to get up and go watch, but yesterday it was so mild, so... Yeah, and um, I kind of want to, like, watch the last footage of my um, cameras mm. before the power went out yesterday, because I'm sure it's a show. Oh, I bet. Because it was in fucking insane dude and then like i walked out i'm trying to feed the outdoor cats and whatnot and i walk out and there is a limb a big ass limb that's on the top of my roof standing vertically jesus okay and i'm just like great cool i can't even reach that right now also as you know my garage door is broke so i can't really get into my garage to get my ladder to get it down mm-hmm. and it's also still gonna fucking storm all over us we aren't even done with what's happening this is just a small break in the storm right I'm feeding the cats. I, I'm like, I'm going to have to put their food in the fucking shed. So I go and do it. I walk back towards the garage. That fucking branch almost fell on my head, dude. Mm-hmm. The power line caught it. And then I'm like, well, now I have a whole other problem. We don't. We already don't have power. So I don't think I really need to worry that bad. But I don't want this to just stay on this power line. So I'm like, okay, rubber boots, rubber mat, grab the wooden handled fucking broom and I barely touched that stick, and it fell off the line. I was like, okay, good. I didn't get electrocuted. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Well, people people take for granted um, just overhead lines. Like, like from house to house, it's considered low voltage, even though it's high voltage. It, it's anything less than 1,000 volts. Um, but, like, if you're driving down the road and there's an overhead line down, whether you can see it's live or not, you are a fucking idiot if you get out and get anywhere near it. 
because it's fucking yeah. insta death. Yeah, you're gonna get fucking zapped. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm an electrician, obviously. A quarter of an amp will kill you. One fourth of an amp will kill you. Uh, normally, the amperage is what you have to worry about, not the voltage. But when you when you're by a line that's carrying fucking twenty or thirty thousand volts, like it's gonna smoke you. Oh yeah. You know so. I'd, your hands and your fucking feet will explode off I, you. I'm an electrician and I don't fuck with it. High voltage is not something that I want to dick with. Well, it's it's always life or death. Mm-hmm. Always. There's not a oh I'm going to work and there's no concern about if I'm going to come home or not. Mm-hmm. No. There's always a chance. Right. And it, and that's a crazy thing too. I was enamored watching these guys work in the back because it was like they just they were so calm about it and I was like, man, they are really risking their lives right now. Like seriously. Oh yeah. The wind could blow and this dude could get pushed into this fucking thing and get zapped out of nowhere and like fucking squirrel could land on it and complete the fucking connection to him and you know there's like mm-hmm. i don't know i'm not good with electricity like that but there's possibilities right. you know i saw the fucking demonstration when i was a kid well it's you know I, i'm kind of glad that we are we're having like this little public service announcement because if the power does go out the people that are there to fix it aren't just fuck dicking around like they're taking the time that they need to do, to so they don't have an accident and then not have the ability to go home to their families. So give those people your respect. They really do, man. And, and they were honestly professionals through and through. I talked to several crew people yesterday as they were in and out trying to get to the pole that was behind our house and whatnot and figuring out the best way. And are they going to drive a truck in? Do they need to do, have the guy climb the pole or use a ladder or whatever, you know? And, um, You're right. It, it's it's it is very serious, but um, it's even more serious when the scale gets larger. So sure, we were a one singular neighborhood with three houses out of a hundred and twenty some houses without power. Mm-hmm. But there were twenty two thousand customers affected yesterday, per what Nipsco reported. Right. So and and and, the, and so I mean these storms ripped through here man and did a lot of damage. We are very fortunate that worse damage didn't happen. That none of these trees fully came down mm-hmm. onto our house or garage, you know, and that could have been a whole other drama. Right. So, but uh my like my Sunday was kind of shitty, but my Saturday was fucking cool. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Why was your Saturday so cool, Nate? Cuz I woke up early and I got myself together. And we got the we got the girl we got the three of us got in the car and we drove to Lafayette <laughs> to visit my homie Tyler who I'm talking to on the podcast right now and not only just visit we kind of had a game plan we've been discussing for a while that you and I were going to revitalize or bring to life if you will your nerd room mm-hmm. comic room Star Wars room whatever the hell you want to call right. it collectibles den whatever. But you had employed me. You said, hey, man, I need your assistance. I, I have some ideas, and I'm not sure how to quite accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish because there is a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sent me videos and whatnot, and I was like, it is kind of a lot, and I had given a couple suggestions of how I would tackle and approach this so that when I got to you on Saturday, we would be efficient. Mm-hmm. And I think we did an okay job, I would say. Yeah, we got 
I mean, just rewind a little bit. I We bought this house two years ago. This is year number two that we've lived in the house. And I bought the house a month later, uh, or I'm sorry, t- two and a half, three months later, I got married. And then a month later, I made a job... Um, I made a job change where I took a $60,000 pay cut and in to bide my time before I could get into the apprenticeship that I'm in right now. And when we moved in, you know, we had plans for that room. It was going to be an office. It was going to be like a secondary baby room. It was going to be a guest room. And then, then we just started shoving shit in there. And, you know, between how much I worked at the time I moved in here and then everything else, it's basically just become a storage unit. And I've wanted it to be like every house that my dad's ever had has had a star Wars room. And I've always want to have that too. And you and I were just bullshit one day. And I was like, you know, it's been a while since we've hung out. Obviously you should come down and we can kind of build this room together. And I took like two weeks and just cleaned a little bit every day. And we got 99% of it done. Man, I mean, the way yes, the way it worked when I was there in my head was, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, this is who I am. I don't, it's not, not anything I mean to be or anything I'm trying to boast when you ask me to help, my goal is to like, like, honestly, I even feel like I left a little too early and left shit on the table, but it was at the point where it was just like decorating, which I totally understand can be a process. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you're like, Hey, can you help me? And it was like, yeah. And then when I'm there, you, you know, one simple, tiny question, you said, can you help me move this fucking sofa to the road? And it wasn't like a, Oh, let's delay it. Let's not do it. Let's forget that it exists. In that moment, I said, let's fucking just go do it right now. Boom, mm-hmm. kick it in. Got it handled, you know, and, and then got the garage in a little bit of better order. And then that helped to fuel what the nerd room was doing. It was very cohesive, all the moves that were being made. Um, and then, you know, we got to get some setup going in your uh, in your uh, collectible uh, awesome nerd room of awesomeness. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what we're gonna what you're calling it yet, but uh, I haven't named it quite yet. Um, you know, I originally it was gonna be a Star Wars room, and the majority of the shit that's gonna be in there is gonna be Star Wars related. But there's so much other stuff that it can't just be Star Wars room. So I'll have to workshop it and think about what it's gonna be. But you I'm didn't just help me clean. For a couple weeks. You didn't just help me clean. You made me a badass piece of art. Oh yeah, yes I did. That's going to be featured that. in in the nerd huh? room. I said it's going to be featured in the nerd room. Yeah, sweet. Um, we were talking after the last podcast, I think it was, or maybe two podcasts ago, something like that, and we were talking about this planned extravaganza we were going to be having of of working on this, and I had shown you some other pieces that I had done of other characters and stuff. And I was initially just going to gift you things that I don't have out. And I was like, 
it doesn't it doesn't feel right mm-hmm. to me to do that. I hadn't painted in like four and a half, five years. So I said, fuck it, man. I brought out my sprays. I I worked a design. I figured something out cool. I totally imagined that color design on my own based on colors I know you like. Literally, it was like in my head, what colors represent Tyler? I pulled them all out on the, the onto the table and I was like, okay, which ones go best together? And then that's how the colors came together. The only color I was a little bit upset with, I didn't have a bright enough yellow. I wanted it to be a little more poppy, but that's just a that's just a personal design preference for me. So um, it was really cool, though, to get back in it. It made me feel very creative, and in allowing me to create, it made me realize that I want to keep doing spray work. So I'm going to probably be making more pieces now. Mm-hmm. Well, I've already commissioned you to do another one, so... That one's already in my head cooking. <laughs> I've been uh, sitting on it for, like, well, since Saturday, actually, trying to figure out some different concepts of what to do and i think i have a cool idea i just gotta execute it properly cool so um but yeah no it was it was a lot of fun to work your room and to figure out how it was going to look and to, to help you get your pop wall in order and um figure out like we did we did a good job of like organizing where things were going to be grouped mm-hmm. kind of so that when the dis- when it does come time that you're putting up shelves or whatever, you could just go bop, bop, boom, done, and it's it's super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, man, I just can't wait for the, there to be a time where we get to podcast in that room. Mm-hmm. Like once it's completely set up and you and I could just like put on a table and just be podcasting. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's part of the goal. You know, I've got like my pseudo podcasting studio in my... Um, living room and it's kind of just like uh like a smaller representation of what that room was up there it's got fish tank stuff on it and my computer dungeons and dragons shit on it and it's just it's cluttered i have a problem with clutter no, I think you you have a daughter yeah. who likes to run you dry, and you don't have time to sit and clean every tiny little thing that happens. You're just like, I'll get to that eventually. I'll do that eventually. She was super. Ruby was a <laughs> hyper little girl on Saturday, bro. Yeah, she. We told her like the week before you guys got there, and then every day up until you guys got there, that's all she talked about. Oh. <laughs> It was so much fun. The girls had a blast hanging out with Ruby and Skylar and stuff. And uh, I, like I said, I think we accomplished a lot. Mm-hmm. It was really nice to bond in that way in a totally different environment than we've been really allowed to. You know, I feel like there's always like an event we're doing together when we're together. It's not ne- like even if it's not like LaFiCon, the last time you and I got to really hang out was uh, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was going to do a thing and then talking about it. So right. it was nice to just like have a different experience. We got to go to Hobby Lobby, which fucking blew my fucking mind. <laughs> like there was some shit I'd never seen before. I was like, Flash handles? They have handles that are the Flash? <laughs> I can buy? What the fuck? You know? Yeah. Yeah, there was all kinds of cool shit in there. I hate going in there, too, but. Too, too many cool shits. Mm-hmm. But they also had. Too many fucking Christmas decorations. Fuck off with that shit. And they didn't have the picture frame sizes that we needed. So we those are some weird frame sizes, though. To be fair, right? But still, I mean, if you're a store that boasts about your picture frame inventory, you would think that you might have one or two oddball sizes. You're right. (laughs) You're right. They're like, we're not stocking those. Nope. We're above we're not those. Doing it. 
no way. It was cool too, man. I want to mention before I forget that like you were super gracious, and you didn't even have to do this because it wasn't any, like anything I was even expecting. But you gifted me a couple things that came from your nerd collection that were either doubles or, or, or you know had different valued meanings to you and whatnot. And uh, I've got this awesome R2B1 pop that I used to have and sold, and now I have it again, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel nice, as well as Han Solo Hoth, which was a GameStop exclusive. Um, but the thing that I like, I really cannot wait to get up in the room is the Empire Strikes Back plaque. Mm-hmm. I, don't even, which, I don't even remember how I got two of those. You probably bought one once, set it in that box, forgot you bought it, mm-hmm. and bought, bought it a different again. one, and then was like, I need to get this one, it's so badass, and then bought it again. But yeah, y- You might have, in fact, pulled a Blaine. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not but, quite Blaine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. He he would have bought every single mm-hmm. kind of wood plaque they had yep. there, even if it, even if it didn't have anything to do with shit. He's like he's like I'm just buying every wood plaque they have. Mm-hmm. Give them all the money. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. We love you, Blaine. Uh, he's probably gonna kick me in the balls later or something. But uh, no, man, it was it was really wicked fun time hanging out. We got to have some delicious food mm-hmm. that I've jammed a couple times since then. And I'm going to continue to jam after this podcast because that ZD was the titties. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I went to Olive Garden. And that that salad and the pasta and everything was great. Man, it set me right after doing all that work we had been doing, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just like refreshed, ran out to the Hobby Lobby, did that shit, got back, knocked down a few more things. And um, did you make any further progress after I left? Did you get some more stuff done, or did you, have you hung anything up yet? Uh, I haven't hung anything up yet because I basically spent most of the day yesterday looking at different ways that I can hang certain things in different shelves. So I ah. so I think in you know because you and I had talked about putting like a corner curio in one of the the main corners. I looked at some actual corner shelving. That, you know, it's obviously not a curio, but I'll be able to do basically like floor to ceiling and actually yeah. and actually get um, a little bit more service area for for not as expensive and not have another piece of furniture to lug around, you know. Totally. Um, but yeah, I basically sent or I got the, a bunch of the trash and empty boxes and stuff that we had at the end. And then I spent most of the day yesterday just workshopping it like. You know, because we established a basic framework of where everything was go, and then I was like, okay, maybe I'll move this a little bit, and then add another shelf, and 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 what have you. So, <coughs> oh, Tyler, excuse me. Right. Oh gosh, oh, it just snuck up on me there. I saw that happen in real time. He was just like looking at the camera, and then it just killed him. It was very bizarre. That that hurt my head. <clears throat> oh man, I'm so sorry. Wowzers. But yeah, so I'll I'll definitely keep you updated. Um, We're going on vacation next week, so I'm just going to tidy for the rest of the week, and then when we get back, we'll hit it again. Oh yeah, next week, folks, is going to be... I think we have a fill-in guest host coming, Mm -hmm. probably, to do the show. I need to remember and to remember to remind him that we discussed that. Oh shit. Um yeah, man. Uh, you guys are going on vacation. That's going to be a blast. Much needed. Uh, 
we're going to kind of be also in the same area, actually, strangely enough. We're going to be in Kentucky on the 25th for a show. Mm -hmm. And then when are you guys going? The 28th. Yeah, so so right in that time frame. Um, actually, I think that means that we'll have one more one. Uh, two fifty eight will be with you mm -hmm. if, if if you're free that week the weekend before you go. Yeah, well, I'll I'll be here to record um, this upcoming Sunday, and then I just won't be the next. D twenty three will have happened. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have a lots to discuss. Cool. Yeah, I really look forward awesome. to that because the last couple weeks Disney started or really really starting to amp up their marketing campaign for Disney Plus. You know, we're each day we're getting closer and closer to November. Um and just just seeing them ramp up the the ad campaign for Disney Plus makes me really excited for uh, episode nine coming out in December, obviously. So, you know, once, once everything starts to hit, which will be Sunday, basically with D23, then I would imagine Disney's going to turn it up to 11 and just let it loose. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like Saturday is going to be their real big announcement day, but we're going to be getting all the fallout from those announcements into Sunday, mm -hmm. which is, man, I, uh, there, there's a lot of people that are saying they're gonna they're gonna tell us what fave, phase five is. There might be an unreleased or unannounced phase four movie. There might be some crazy Disney Plus show we haven't been told about or some shit. You know, mm -hmm. whatever they say, bow down to them. Yeah, I'm, because I'm cool with it. Disney's taking all the money. I mean, it's I, we've said this just the other just the last time we talked about you know their price point and twelve ninety nine. They even came out and said that. Our price point is not to put Netflix out of business, and I'm like, I don't know if I'd say that. I think it is kind of to put them out of business. I, I stand by my opinion that Netflix is going to be okay. I'm sure they will be. Because yeah. of, of the contracts that they have in place and, and the actors and directors and, and, and all the teams that they've partnered with. I think they're going to come out of it all right. I think they're definitely going to feel it, especially right at the beginning because the amount of people, the amount of subscribers that drop, um, you know, at the beginning of November, I would imagine is going to be pretty substantial. But I think ultimately they'll get a lot of those subscribers back. You know, they'll like say you and I, for example, we both cancel our Netflix in uh, November when when Disney Plus drops. You know, who's to say that, that January 1, Netflix doesn't run some crazy promotion where uh, for $5 a month, you know, get your Netflix. If you've had a mm -hmm. account previously. Yep. Ooh. For $5 a month for, say, maybe a year, you know, we'll give you this promotional pricing. Or maybe instead of the monthly subscription... Here's our bottom dollar for a year subscription of Netflix. Say maybe it's eighty bucks. You know, that's that's considered really cheaper than it actually is. So that that might be Man, enough to do it. I think that's a good way to look at it with with streaming services because I don't I, I I think you're right. They're not always forever lost. Mm -hmm. I think the lower tiered ones like your crackles and stuff like that, and the, the you know stuff that's not really prominent, but you know, I've noticed Hulu Plus, or now it's just Hulu, obviously, or whatever, mm -hmm. 
is uh, it's got a lot of FX stuff on it now and stuff, and they're starting to roll out all that Fox stuff on it. And you can tell Disney has now integrated their Hulu purchase as well, mm-hmm. and it's it's starting to become noticeable. You know, and I'm sure that in the coming months we're going to notice changes to Hulu. You're probably I'm going to say it again. There's going to be a point where they offer if you have Hulu right now, just pay X dollar for Disney Plus mm-hmm. because there are some people that I'm not going to lie, I might not really need to have ESPN Plus. But I already have Hulu, so if you give me an option to get Disney Plus, I'm all over. Right, it. and and you and I talked about that previously. You know the the three bundle price point is is fantastic for twelve ninety nine, but I don't necessarily need Hulu or ESPN Plus because I have YouTube TV, which gets me all the sports that I want, and I get Hulu for free already. So. You know, right out of the gate, I'm probably just gonna pay that twelve ninety nine. Um, but if if they give me the option to kind of alter your bundle, then then for sure. I mean, it's just smart business to do it that way. And who's to say, like, say spring of next year, they don't add an, anything additional to Disney Plus. Like as as far as streaming services, so you've got Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Hulu. Who's to say that they don't acquire something else and then bundle that in as well? Yes. Oh, that would be. I mean, I, I, oh, what you acquired all of the Spider Man rights from Sony? What? <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily know. Uh, <clears throat> just off the top of my head, if there's anything, you know, that would even be worthwhile to you know, try and grab a hold of and, and bring into a bundle like that. But we've talked enough on this show about how business savvy Disney as a company is. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acquisitions that they're looking to make, you know, in the next year, in the next five years, in the next decade going on right now. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait for the future of of, like I said, bow down to the kings of Disney. They just have it. You know, they've got it figured out. They have the money. They bankrolled when their time was right. They took their shot with Marvel. Marvel allowed them to acquire Star Wars. Star Wars allows them to acquire Fox. Mm-hmm. Like it's all kind of like the the new Disney Empire. Well, and and you know, little um, or or kind of uh, inconsequential news that's, that's come out here recently. Both Alien and The Predator are both going to be rebooted 100% from Disney. And at least from the Alien side, um, they're looking at not letting Ridley Scott direct, but bring him in as a producer. So if you, if you go all the way back to the first Nerds of the Roundtable I was on, my one question I brought to the table was... What's going to happen to Alien and Predator, those universes, or that IP moving forward? You know, and and we spitballed and threw a lot of stuff out there. I want... There's there's two people that I always want to be involved in the Alien franchise. I want Ridley Scott and James Cameron both involved. So, if you can have... If you can have James Cameron direct which I think might be a little bit pricey. But if you can have him direct and Ridley Scott produce, we're fine. I, I think they both, you know, 
they they bring the best best of both worlds, at least for that franchise. So if you bring them both in on the project moving forward, then we can get the best of both worlds and and grow that brand back to what it was in the you know the early '80s, really. I think you'd have to take a chance, though. I mean, I agree with what you're saying to a degree. However, I think that if you're going to have James Cameron involved, I don't want him to direct. Okay. We've already seen his vision. I think he should be an executive producer as well. Him and Ridley co-EV. Okay. Or co-producing. you know, producing. And let every decision, they have final say. Okay. And you bring in a new, young, talented director who is poised to bring something different to the table. Say... I, I'm. I don't. I've already got one for you. Say, I was going to say Jordan Peele, but uh, maybe he's not the you know first choice in everybody's mind. But go ahead. Who do you think? Neil Blomkamp. Amazing choice. Absolutely. He he originally signed on to do an uh, an entry into the Alien franchise, basically picking up right where Aliens left off. You know kind of along the same vein that they did with Terminator, drop everything off that happened after your 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 heavy hitter, your number one movie, and then create a new universe that way. And then basically Fox said, well, we really want you to do this project. We're going to put it on hold and allow Ridley Scott to finish you know, his vision with Prometheus and then Alien Covenant and what have you, and then ultimately his project got scrapped. So you've got a young director who has mild success, but his artistic vision is second to none as far as the sci-fi genre goes. Absolutely. Reach out to him again because he's still interested and let him do it with the, with the two kings of the franchise kind of guiding his hand. I mean... Th- it would be amazing as long if they can all be on the same page and agree and and the vision be the correct thing and the script be right mm-hmm. and the story be you know um impactful it has to hold weight mm-hmm. you know you would do obviously a, what a sequel to aliens or alien alien well that was originally what uh Blomkamp's project was supposed to be but i like the idea better of doing the full reboot just having those Just those key universe. yep those key people involved. Okay, and I think it would be phenomenal. And the same the same needs to be said for Predator too. Um, you know, Predators really the last good entry in the Predator franchise with um, Adrian Brody was was pretty successful, and it wasn't bad. The last Predator movie was awful, so. You've, you've taken that away from Fox, and there's proof in the pudding that the fan base still wants wants to experience this universe. Give them what they want, and that's what Disney's best at. I th- And I, I couldn't agree more because Disney is best at taking things that are true to people's hearts, and they go, we can breathe new life into this because these characters have been beat down. Predator and Alien are kind of in some ways jokes if you will Mm -hmm. because of some of the things they've gone through in their franchise history uh but it's because of poor storytelling right because the characters are bad it's because the people who were allowed to tell stories did not tell very encapsulating stories they did not tell things that really got people Mm -hmm. or, or gave you 
what a movie should do is entertain you and make you think beyond just what is in front of you. So, and yeah, and, I th- I think there there's a possibility for them to really take take hold espe- with these new especially too franchises. because a lot of the fan or a lot of the fan base of Marvel and and um Star Wars say that that Disney has a problem paying attention to source material. And I'm not I'm not going to debate that because I think that they stay true enough to the source material and put their own spin on things well enough that they don't necessarily have to. Um, you look at all the AVP comics that got really popular in the 90s and early 2000s, and then all of the expanded universe books. It, it's, it's along the same lines as Star Wars. There's enough stories to tell as far as source material goes it's not that hard to write a uh, compelling survival horror story with aliens in space. There's a lot of franchises that have done it. Or with predators on Earth. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, yeah. I mean, there's so much room for storytelling, too. And all it takes is just a creative way of looking at things. And I think that a problem that a lot of studios in Hollywood and history have had, you know, predating even Disney having a lot of the rights to these different series, is that, like, they didn't care. They were trying to turn out cash. Right. It wasn't about does the story impact? Will it last generations? Is it going to be good and hold up true to this franchise? It was, well, will we get their money? Will we get their money? Can we get their money? Mm-hmm. And then they they ran that well dry, and they tried Alien versus Predator, and, and that is a whole series in and of itself. And then Prometheus comes along, and then it's Alien Covenant, and it's all these different iterations, and not to say that there aren't good movies in there. There's some of those movies I just mentioned are, are awesome, and I really do love them. But outside looking in, it's not quite the same because it's because you can see that the almighty dollar is what's speaking. Right. And Disney, anything that Disney invests in, they're in it for the long game, not the short game. So if they put the time and the work in to making Alien and Predator, you know, two heavy hitter franchises from the from the 80s, prominent or, or relevant again, it's going to be worthwhile in as far as time time and dollar spent. Because the return that they're going to see on that investment is going to be incredible. Especially with the modern era of social media, how reviews spread like wildfire. A good movie becomes great because people hype it consistently. Mm -hmm. And that's all it needs. So you do have an opportunity there for sure. I I absolutely 100% agree with you. Uh, What do you think they're going to do with some of the animated series that they have, though? It's pouring down rain at my house. My wife was just telling me. Oh, lovely. <laughs> now you have storms. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Glad I didn't start mowing. Yeah, you'd be soaked. But what do you think about some of these animated properties that Disney now has a hold of? Will we see re- revitalizations kind of like how Rocco's Modern Life and uh, Invader Zim have had new life breathed into them? I don't know. I think I think um, IP like The Simpsons... Is something that you kind of just got to leave alone. You just got to let it continue the path that it, that it's that it's been on since its inception. I've watched very little Simpsons or Simpsons. Um, I've just never really dug it. But 
Disney has the capital to make it whatever they want or take what's there and make it better. Um, you know, we've we've made the joke that everything that Disney touches turns to gold. I think especially if you look at the animated property that they now have acquired, that may be more true than, than all this other IP that we've been discussing because... You you keep your core animators on the payroll, and then you put the right people right in the stories, and you don't have to you don't have to shoot a scene seven thousand times because an actor can't get a line right or they can't get the the camera angle correct. You know, they're going to see even more return on that investment. I feel anyway. I agree. I think I think that the way you look at it makes a lot of sense. You're stripping away and saying, if you put the right people in charge at every position, it's not just about uh, ancillary things within that make people hireable. Mm -hmm. They need to have that certain it factor that they can point out shit from not shit. Mm -hmm. It's easy. Good from bad. Know internally whether you're going to be able to give a performance or not give a performance and what kind of actors are easy to work with and aren't assholes. You know, I feel like a lot of the people we don't see in the MCU, not necessarily always, but I think that there are a lot of bigger names in Hollywood that will never touch the MCU because they're assholes. Mm -hmm. And MCU don't want to mess with those kind of people because they're not going to be hyping the movie. They're going to be hard to work with. They're going to be so impossible to uh, convince to stay a part of the franchise that you're going to end up with the recasting of, like, uh, you know, Ed Norton or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. I think we uh, we just need to stay back and see what happens with the future of what Disney has. Uh, but I think it's about time. If you're ready, mm-hmm. should we transition this beast into the conversation of conversations of conversations part two? I'm ready. So last episode, folks, if you tune in to Journey into Comics, Tyler and I dove in very deep on House of X, issue one, by Jonathan Hickman. It was a deep read with a lot of stuff we covered. We went over excruciatingly panel by panel by panel by panel. This week, we're going to cover in reading order, because I want to stick true to what they suggest you do. Do it by reading order. We are going to be diving into Powers of X, Number one. Mm-hmm. Right out the gate, before we actually talk about the story or anything, how did you feel about this book? At first, it, some of the the character decisions that they took in this in this book was a little odd to me on first read. Um, now that I've read it uh, twice. I understand why they took certain directions and and kind of the little plot threads that they're slowly but surely sprinkling in. Um, one thing that that really struck me about this book or this run of this kind of co-issued story is I actually, even though it's along the same style, I liked a lot of the art in this book more than I did House of X, number one. It definitely has a little bit of a different quality to it. They, I'm, I'm, I'm certain there are two different artists working on the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I agree with you that the art was beautiful. Uh, one thing that was really interesting to me, just to note on the story, was that I really loved how it kind of was broken down in four different eras. Mm-hmm. You get like, I wouldn't even say 25% of each story, because it's really heavily chunked in that third quarter's story. Very little of the first, very little of the second, big middle third bit, and a little bit of the fourth. Mm-hmm this book well and it goes it needs to be said as well that a good portion of this book are panels and portions of the story that we've already seen in house of x number one actually i think that some of these are also panels we see in house of x2 mm-hmm. uh because they also do the because we read them wrong we should note that you and i initially read them wrong we read house of x1 and 2 and then powers of x1 um, but House of X 2, which we're going to get into next week, does feature some art and some stuff that, that ties back into this story where Moira McTaggart is on the bench with Charles Xavier in the dream year, is what they call it. <clears throat> and that is what we are going to talk about is the canonical version of Charles Xavier 1.0. The simpler times for the X-Men in the comic realm. Mm-hmm. And then you have the world, which is the modern version of Charles Xavier with the X-Helmet on that's like modern Cerebro and whatnot and is controlling everybody in Krakoa, as we discussed. Um, and, and that story, we're going to dive into that a little bit in a minute, too. Uh, the third version is, um, is it the, was it called the war? But it's a hun- the hundred year mark. Mm-hmm. And that is featuring Nimrod, which is still Charles Xavier, mind you. Okay. A version thereof. Mm -hmm. And then a thousand years into the future in year X10 is Dissension. And that's still a different version of, but still Charles Xavier. Yeah, it goes the dream, the war, the world, or I'm sorry, the dream, the world, the war, and Ascension. Wow, I did remember it. Cool. That makes me feel excited when I actually remember all four parts of that because I was certain I was going to fuck that up when I was thinking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to miss one of these. Just keep it in mind. Uh, the Dream is a sequence that we're going to, as I said, we're going to get more of that in House of X 2. Yeah. I'm, it's a very I miss, small... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go. I keep interrupting you. No, you're okay. We're just both excited to talk about I it. I misspoke. That that was the portion that I was talking about was featured in... in um, House of X 1, and you're right, it is in House of X 2. Yeah, because they give you a little chunk of it here, which makes more sense now why it's the whole story of 2 and you understand it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but they but they don't... The dream sequence of this is only a few pages. It's only three or four pages long. It's Charles and Moira meeting. They have a conversation that we're going to get a deeper version of next issue. And then we jump to the world, which is X... Was it like three or four because they have the little numbers next to them it's like or is it x1 uh because x0 is the dream x1 is the world yes okay and then it's five and ten for war and ascension Mm -hmm. wow okay 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 okay. so the dream sequence is very short but i think that one of the more important sequences that we don't really we aren't really discussing yet is is the second sequence in the world mm-hmm. with what happens with uh, Mystique. Yeah, you you get um, 
you get not necessarily the climax, but the what's the word I'm looking for? Resolution. Yes, you get the resolution to the Brotherhood of Mutants stealing this this what looks like a thumb drive of information uh, when the Fantastic Four showed up and and captured Sabretooth and whatnot in the last issue. Um, one thing that I want to point out is. You know, on this panel it says X1, the X-Men, year 10. And you get to see Mystique and Toad come through this portal. And, you know, the the light shining through the trees and, and everything that's going on there. That That is just incredible. The artist did a fantastic job. I can't say that enough. Oh, it's beautiful. The color renderings, mm-hmm. absolutely. How it's got like that morning um, sunrise yeah. feel to it. Mm-hmm. Really, it does. Uh, but I, I also think that they did, they do a lot of interesting choices with how they frame their camera in this. Mm-hmm. Like the shot on uh, Go Play Toad uh, when she's walking into Krakoa is from Raven's hip and her gun. Mm-hmm. It's not from behind her in a distance. It's not in her mouth talking. They chose to say that from her weapon. And, I, and small choices like that are always intriguing to me. Right. But yeah, they successfully get the thumb drive to um, Magneto. Um, but that was, a, and, and that's another thing. What did you think about the conversation that, that Mystique and Magneto have about what's going on? At first, I thought. Um... I don't know. At first, I thought it was a little bit lackluster, just because it was kind of the, I don't know, like snobby guy has a girl in his house and he's pouring a drink and he's fancy, you know. That's just, I mean, obviously that's not how I feel about it. But but when I first flipped to this page, I was like, just looking at the art, that's the kind of the vibe that I got, you know, like the mastermind always waiting for his minions to do all the work. Um, but I think Magneto's dialogue is, is it may not seem very important in this panel, but ultimately this will somehow be super relevant going forward. Yeah. He's very, he's kind of hopeful even. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's kind of a perspective that you don't normally get from Magneto. Hardly ever. He He's never a glass half full, mm-hmm. as it were, because he's pouring himself a drink right. uh, kind of guy. Uh, one thing I want to interestingly note is the page where it's a close-up of his face about to take the drink. Fan casting, if he was still alive, fucking David Bowie. Oh, bro. yeah. Like all day. If he could have I the frame, really can't look away you know, from it, to represent. Like, if he could have the frame to represent, you know, kind of this um, version of Magneto, it'd be incredible. Absolutely, but uh, Raven and Magneto, or not Raven? Well, I guess Raven is her real name, but mm-hmm. uh, she kind of says that if you're going to get this thumb drive for me, I've got some more demands. And of all people, Xavier shows up. Mm-hmm. And he is like, it's funny because you know he just reads her mind. 
He knows what her demands are. She doesn't say them. So you don't ever get that. We don't know what her demands are. But he's like, well, if, if you have demands, we need more as well. Mm-hmm. And he kind of explains that if every whoever's going to live in Krakoa in this new world for mutants, they owe it something. It's kind of a different side of Xavier, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple lines of dialogue here. You know, he or Mystique turns the the question back on Xavier is helping your fellow mutant not reward enough for the great Charles Xavier. And he responds with, we're building a better mutant world mystique and everyone who would live in it owes something. It's, it's, it's a, a colder tone than we're used to getting from Xavier. Almost more malicious. I feel like it's almost as if he and Magneto have flipped sides. Mm -hmm. He's the more angry, driven one who is um, not just doing this for the good of mutant kind, but he also maybe has a deeper plan mm-hmm. in place. Totally agree. Um, which I think we find we find out deeper into the future. One thing I want to know, I do love these Stan Soapbox uh, pages they've been bringing back mm-hmm. that are actually old soapboxes he did back in the day that they're just highlighting. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking cool. I also really like that um, they put the image in the bottom left corner that says Stan Lee forever. I really appreciate that. Fuck yeah. It's awesome. This this Stan soapbox came from December of 1968. It's it's a good one too. It's definitely a good one. Still relevant. Absolutely. Uh Do we want to read it or do we want to jump on to the next page? That's up to you. No man, I I, 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 we can read it. I don't care. I like this. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it says the next time anyone puts you down for reading a comic mag, try hitting him with a little soliloquy, which I've used on various radio and TV guest appearances in the past few months. Comic books are just a medium of communication, just as television and motion pictures are. All three employ words and pictures, and all must be judged on their individual merits. A story is a story, whether presented between two covers or on a screen. If the worlds have dramatic impact, if the pictures are visually appealing, if the theme is emotionally relevant, then certainly it is worthy of a reader's attention. However, if the quality is lacking, then it rates little consideration. Isn't this equally true of a TV program, a Broadway show, a motion picture, or any other form of entertainment? All we at Marvel ask is that our product be judged on the basis of quality, a quality which we sincerely believe is is equal to that found in any other comparable media. Marvel comics today are produced by the finest creative talent available. Read them first and then decide. Excelsior, Smiley. That might be more relevant now than it was in 1968. Yeah, I mean... Truthfully. But I I mean, in 68, they were fighting a different cause too. You know, I think comics were kind of, you know, just the funny papers Mm -hmm. and and they were really trying to drive home the point of content first. But you are right now. This really rings true, especially with how the MCU has been such a a huge success. I'm looking at you specifically, Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) All right, let's jump to year 100. We have Percival 
he's dying. And we don't know it's Percival yet. I'm pretty sure that's the character's name. Did I get that right? I think it is. I'm going forward in the pages just to see because <laughs> it will tell me. Maybe it won't tell me. Hmm. I thought there was a panel that said what happened to each one, but maybe I'm not right. Oh, yeah, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Nope, I didn't find it. I hate this sometimes that I can't find panels, man. It's like I know I read something and then it just doesn't appear. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's in House of X, too. But uh, it might be. It honestly might be. But let's get back into it. Uh, 100 years into the future, or year 100, rather, mm -hmm. there are some... Mutant Slayer robots, I guess. Modern Sentinels. Yeah, because the next panel, you actually get to see a full Sentinel kind of overlording over the scene that we've got going on. So I would imagine they're like just smaller Sentinels. Yeah, they're really gnarly looking, though. Mm -hmm. uh, that one's got three heads. Yes, that one looks wild. I just noticed that. Um, but the, uh, the the Silo Bell character is some sort of um, cyborg-type mutant mm -hmm. who is built to betray, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to extract information from her and... Her sister, I guess, which is more like a, a Nebula slash Gamora type sisterhood, which they're not actually related, but bonded by the cause and whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, is watching her sister be attacked, and they're like waiting to attack back. This character's Rasputin, which I think is some sort of uh, telltale that this is from the lineage of um, Colossus mm -hmm. and Kitty Pride. This is someone in their heritage. Mm. Heritage. Yeah. Yeah, see what I did there. And then the same could be said for Cardinal, who is some form of a, a Nightcrawler mm -hmm. character. Well, like, if you think back to X-Men uh, First Class, I mean, you get to see Azazel. When I first came onto this panel, that's immediately who I thought it was, but he's got the name Cardinal, you know. Yeah, and they explain the name of Cardinal, mm -hmm. too, which I appreciate. We're going to talk about them. We haven't had one yet in this issue, but the dossier sheets that, like, explain things in greater detail. Mm -hmm. um, so in this battle, essentially, also, that sword that Rasputin is using looks like magic sword. Mm -hmm. I was thinking the so same thing. maybe lineage there, too, also, possibly. Um these sentinels are fighting her. She's trying to save her sister, Silo Bell. Uh, uh, the Cardinal is building one of the uh, gates to Krakoa. Mm -hmm. You have to root the plant. You know, he's planted one, and he's trying to build it up. And ultimately, they do not succeed in saving Silo Bell. Yeah, she gets kind of swarmed and then taken. In like an energy bubble. And, uh, of course, Rasputin keeps fighting it off. And then we get our first dossier 
which is super heartbreaking, and I could totally see this being something they would use if they were to ever tell this story in the movies, but that, like, Silo Bell with her hand on the energy bubble telling her sister to leave is just, like, ugh, heartbreaking. Well, well, especially, too, because, you know, you get the the little bubble of, of her asking Rasputin to leave, and then the next image after that is her being swarmed by people and or of um, cyborgs and it's taking all of those people to hold her back from her sister. So that's mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean she's fighting it with everything and there's like let's see, one, two, three, four, five, I count at least six bodies pulling her. Mm-hmm. So with taking with everything. Uh do you want to talk about the sinister line, my friend? Sure, I'll read it. Mutant breeding program. When the population level of mutants reached a crisis point and the constant evasion, relocation, confrontation cycle made systemic mutant propagation impossible, the remaining mutant leadership endorsed or approved the creation of the sinister breeding pits of Mars. Under the expert hand of chief mutant geneticist, Mr. Sinister, This strategy mirrored the Earth-based Sentinel Hound program, but instead of focusing on the interbreeding of mutants with powers that lend themselves to detection, pursuit, and deception, the Sinister strategy focused on mutants with with power sets that had more aggressive militaristic traits. These lost years of mutant leadership followed the almost universal death or disappearance of senior leaders, and preceding the fall of Krakoa and Mars, many believed rampant rumors that the lost years were not accidental but purposeful. It says sea betrayal, which we talk about on this next panel. Uh, we talk, we get, we actually get uh, a breakdown of the DNA and how they're showing you what they what they mean, and they're they're taking essentially. DNA traits from multiple mutants that are powers and splicing them into one mutant to create a new uh, form Mm -hmm. of mutant and a new power set, essentially, that has traits of all these different things. So to discuss Chimera, it says the first generation of Sinister Mutants were uniformly designed to be divergent copies of a singular DNA source with a pure, uncompromised X gene. Commonly referred to as fodder inside the breeding pits, these mutant soldiers were trained in the Martian underground until they reached the age of 16, at which time they traveled to Krakoa to defend the mutant nation-state until it fell 30 years later. The second and third generation of sinister mutants were referred to as Chimera class. In the second Chimera generation produced mutants that had DNA composed of two separate X genes, resulting in a mutant with mostly predictable combined power sets of the source mutants. The third Chimera generation produced mutants with an amalgamated DNA featuring up to five X genes. Outside of a predictable failure rate, see outliers, this third generation of Chimera was universally successful against the man-machine supremacy, and many believe that this would be the turning point in the war. However, the fourth generation of Sinister Mutants suffered a systematic failure. The entire batch of these Omega-based Chimera Mutants was produced with a corrupted hive mind that was only discovered to be effective after they had destroyed 40% of Krakoa itself. They eventually committed mass suicide, collapsing Mars, the Sinister Pits, 
and themselves into self-singularity. And it shows here in the little breakdown, sample is Rasputin's chimera. It shows her different power traits are, uh, you know, teleporting. It uh, looks like, I can't read all these. She's got healing powers, uh, several other powers, but they all combine into one trait to be Rasputin 4. Mm-hmm. Telepathy and uh, metamorphosis healing. I don't know what that last one is. Intan? Intangibles, maybe? I, I don't know. Um, but then it goes to outliers. <clears throat> like any experiment, Sinister's breeding program would produce results that fell outside of the expected range. A failure rate. Every generation of mutant chimeras had outliers. But the expectation was that these failures would be controllable at worst and acceptable at best. It shows the failure rate, which in Generation 1 was 0.3%. Generation 2 was 1.2%. Generation 3 was 9.4%. And Generation 4 was a whopping 62.3% failure rate. Generation 3 had 10% failure rate where, in spite of their being bred for war, these mutants developed passive peacetime power sets. Almost all of these... Outlier mutants had personality profiles that lent themselves to pacifism and an obsession with creation myths. They also rejected the idea of personal identities and refused individual names. These variants were all called cardinal. The fall of... Oh, betrayal. Do you want to do betrayal? Sure. The fall of Krakoa and destruction of the Martian breeding pits was directly preceded by the betrayal of mutants by Mr. Sinner or Mr. Sinister. Retrospectively, it is obvious that Mr. Sinister was playing a longer game of self-interest that superseded any formal association or alliance. And while the failings of the Generation 4 mutants were clearly a design flaw baked into their design, it is now believed that most of the random circumstances that led to the creation of Sinister's program were in fact orchestrated by him. The nature of that man... Sinister reaches far beyond any hope of redemption. There can be no salvation for the devil himself. Sinister was publicly executed by the man-machine supremacy after defecting. Brutal. And in that same generation of time, 100 years into the future, Mm -hmm. we travel to Tower of Nimrod the Lesser, the human-machine monolith. Um... And Omega is with him, it seems. Mm-hmm. His new character, Omega. I don't know a lot of these characters in this new X-Men universe, so some of these people might not be new and have already had first appearance. Well, we, and I'm just we've established who, who Nimrod the Lesser is. You know, it's, it's Charles Xavier. Yeah, it's a version of Charles mm-hmm. that's in the 100-year era who maybe is just a surviving version of, like, his mind inside this casing. Mm-hmm. Or, or something to that effect. I'm not really sure. They don't really fully explain it to us. But he is brought Silo Bell. And they have some really, really awful stuff they intend to do to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find it here. B 
because essentially they are trying to get all of her secrets out. And they tell uh, Nimrod's like, look, I've got this thing that we're going to put you in. And it's going to break you down to where you're only data. Because they know she's not going to crack because she's the last hound Mm -hmm. from the kennel, which was the Sentinel mutant breeding camp. Um, So she's like a master of keeping secrets, essentially. Mm-hmm. I like how how vindictive uh, Nimrod is. You know, Silo Bell says, "If it takes a thousand years, I swear we will endure and erase you from existence." And he responds with, "That's the spirit. I love it." As he claps his hands. Yeah. He's just like, you know. Like, great, you're doing exactly what I expected you to do. Mm-hmm. You're not going to give up. You you know, you're proven to be who I've heard you are, I guess, is the way to look at mm-hmm. it. Um, but then Omega kind of makes an observation that her AI might be young and still learning. Um, parsing the data comes without a clear window of recovery, meaning that she could learn what she needs to do tomorrow uh, or decades from now. But when the when the information is useless, you can't really find it. Um, so they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and put her in the vat. And I think Nimrod's excited to use the vat. Mm-hmm. He kind of is jubilant in this moment. He's like <gasps> shocked, like <gasps> she's gonna agree. She's gonna actually go through with it. And then he's like, please, please let me do it. And she just kind of grotesquely just goes, have it your way. And he just like, yes, got it. Yeah, he's really creepy absolutely creepy he's like like apocalypse omega red danced with fucking some other juggernaut looking ass character Mm -hmm. sentinel being uh so they take her they inject her with this stuff and he tells her he says i'm so sorry for what i'm about to do to you you see i built something a repository of sorts a, a monument to to understanding the mutant anomaly. But sometimes innovation has a biological cost, and when you add the wi- your willingness or your unwillingness to let us know the things we need to, well, necessity narrows our options even more. Soon all of these chambers will be filled of your kind, your bodies, and more importantly, your minds. will be submerged in femtofluid, where you will be suspended and distilled down to nothing but data. Uh, He says, um, curated by an AI of my own making, my very own brood. Unfortunately, for one of mine to flourish, many of yours must perish, including you. So as you fade away into nothingness, do try to find it in your heart to forgive me. There's the old Charles Xavier we know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just saying, hey, it's going to be all right. And she says, you know, you're threatening... And it's not a threat. And she even tries to get out of the thing. And, and Omega's like, you can, you know, try to escape. But unfortunately, it's the kind of death you can't escape from. This was a very deep uh, part. And we're, I mean, we're not even done with it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get another dossier thing here, Tyler. Uh, do we, do, do you think we really need to deeply cover the kennel? or No, I think we can just uh, cliff note it. Okay, it, it's essentially where uh, Silo Bell was created. 
and she was the first with a unreadable black brain. Mm-hmm. It's been gone for ten years. So it was destroyed. Like, yeah, and she's so she's she's one of her kind of uh, of her own kind, even though she's of a specific kind. She's a very specific one of one mm-hmm. in these creations. Um, but they were bred for betrayal. That's important to note. So we get. I don't understand this panel a little bit. I want your. I want you to try to explain this to me. Why is this first three panels upside down? Uh, I think it's because they're actually they're in a reality or a you know because it says the no place hub. It's almost like the upside down in uh, Stranger Things. Okay, that makes sense. Absolutely, that absolutely makes sense. So the no place hub is where Rasputin and Cardinal are coming through. They're they're feeling the loss of Silo Bell. They are greeted by some people, my dude. Mm-hmm. And it looks like we've got an old man Wolverine-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magneto, who's real old-looking and in uh, green, kind of. Mm-hmm. Looks like Groot. It does look like Groot. And is that supposed to be Cosmic Ghost Rider? I don't believe so. Or some sort of future Ghost Rider type? Uh, just a minute. I read an article the other day that said who that was. Oh, sweet. So, chat while I look it up. Sure. I'm going to talk about the Surviving Mutants real quick because mm-hmm. that's another dossier page we have. Surviving Mutants, total mutant population under the man-machine supremacy. The current estimated number of surviving homo, homo sapiens superior is currently believed to be less than 10,000. The vast majority of these mutants are transplants. Refugees no longer live on Earth or in their narrative, native solar system. Two main colonies, which make up the bulk of the refugees, exist in the Shi'ar space. The first, Benevolence, is a converted transit lo, uh, station located on the fringe of Shi'ar space, where it has long served as a buffer between the Empire and the wild space spawning grounds of brood breeding territory. The current number of mutants living on benevolence is just under 8,000 of that 10,000. The second mutant colony is located on the Shi'ar throne world of Chandelier. It is less than 2,000 mutants who live here by treaty with the Empire warriors stock for the Imperial Guard. Currently, six mutants serve as super guardians and 57 are sub-guardian of, of sub-guardian classification. They denote that it has long been whispered in imperial circles that Empress Zandra has always had an ambitious plans to annex the soul systems uh, and the mutant guardmen are being cultivated to be sympathetic conquerors as an emeliniate for imperial rule. Inside the mutant community, it is hoped that should this come to pass, the surviving mutants can serve as a seed stock for repopulation. Essentially, they're going to keep mutants alive forever. Soul mutants. These are the la- they're, they're all living mutants in the soul system are currently citizens of Asteroid K. Mm-hmm. So these are the last eight remaining. After recent deaths of X-Hound Silobel and the ghost Percival, there's that thing about Percival, the current population on Asteroid K is eight. All right, what did you find, my man? It's Zorn. Zorn. Mm-hmm. There you go. And is that Groot or no? I don't think so. They haven't said one way or the other. Okay. It, it a lot of the articles that I read is people believe that it's actually a sentient piece of Krakoa. Oh, 
So it's either Groot or, fucking... or Walking Krakoa. No one knows. I like Walking Krakoa. That's the episode title. <laughs> um, we're now in year 1000, and we still see Silo Bell in this uh, one vat. Mm-hmm. Never gone. Unfortunately, their use for her being in there is none. We have a floating miniaturized version of Nimrod, which is down to some sort of... Uh, Technology, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is this is the least amount of story we get of all the stories uh, of the four parts of this book, because this is only a few pages, a few short panels. We have the librarian, which again, I'm pretty sure is a version of Xavier. Well, it's it's kind of weird at this point because Nimrod is a version of Xavier who is now this little floating drone. But from what you get in the art at the beginning of the book, this librarian should also be a version of Xavier. So that would mean that these two versions of Xavier are uh, existing simultaneously. Yeah, you know what which, I mean? Which leaves to have interesting question. Uh of course, with what we learn and what we're going to learn in the House of X2, which we're not going to talk about because that would be a spoiler right now, uh, it is possible that employing that same logic, this could be a version of Xavier through her mm. life. Okay. Which means it, it could be still him because it's just a different variant on which version of him mm-hmm. she's experiencing. Gotcha. So he kind of leaves himself behind, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're talking about whose fault it is, and Nimrod's trying to blame himself. Uh, he wasn't built to maintain integrity for a millennium. And uh, the librarian kind of notes that he did his best, considering they were they were trying to call this information to using war, which at this point in existence, war is not necessary. Mm-hmm. It's it's over. The war between humans and mutants and machine is over. I like that these and, books are uh, really you know, are really highlighting how at a certain point it's not just humans versus it's not just Homo sapien versus Homo superior humans versus mutants it's now humans versus mutants versus machine versus humans it, be, it becomes this triangle of conflict correct because the sent the sentinels don't they stop giving a fuck that you're human mm-hmm. because they think you're you by all right should be locked up too mm-hmm. and so. every living thing is somehow has some variation of mutation so you know I have an extra joint in my finger. That's a mutation, you know. Do you really? No, I'm just I'm just throwing that out as an oh. as an example. Sure, I was like, damn, that's cool. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they essentially look at the the hive mind of what used to be Krakoa. It's kind of like the the final bubble of Krakoa. Mm-hmm. And we get kind of this like almost biblical Adam and Eve type thing in the final panel. Yeah, it's called the preserve. Thank you, the preserve. Ah, now I see it. 
but yeah, he has the the librarians looking down on the preserve, and you see two figures. The male kind of looks like Wolverine a little bit. I'll note. Mm-hmm. I I thought the same uh, thing. The fe- the female. I'm uncertain who they're trying to mimic there, but uh, we kind of get left on this like little thing that's super prominent and I wanted to read um, from this book it says as a reminder of what this world used to be like and to remember what we overcame it's important to keep records of the great sins of history even better to preserve a remnant to something to point at and hope to God they never have dominion again Mm -hmm. So it's like a little so it's, mutant, last, it's a little mutant preserve. It's like the last surviving mutants mm-hmm. like on Noah's Ark. Yeah. Bless you. Oh, that snuck up on me. Thank you, my man. Damn, came out of nowhere. So the next issue we're going to be talking about is going to be House of X2 and we've already read it a couple times, but man, what an impactful story that's going to be to discuss. Mm-hmm. To close to close out this issue of Powers of X, um, there's a kind of ending lo- uh, little quote that I want to read. You've forgotten that machines have no soul and that the humans lost theirs a long time ago. It's from Rasputin. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really digging these little, like, uh, dossiers or like little bulletin sheets that are spread out throughout these books. They're really good. And they help drive the story further and give you a bigger picture. And, you know, I think that, uh, like, some comics would try to do that narrative and that explaining through character dialogue. Mm -hmm. It would take up a lot more panels. It would also be a really dense read. And you'd you'd have to have more art. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that Hickman does a really great job of like looking at it and going, okay, what's the, what's the smartest play right now? Mm-hmm. And the smartest play is to just say, hey, look, you're a reader. You're an intelligent reader. You are going to be wanting to be more filled in on the story. You're going to read the dossier panels. That's going to inform you in what narratively we're doing next. And also, the more you retain that information, the deeper into the story, you're going to realize kind of what, what the story we're trying to tell is. It's gonna It's a really great... Uh, exactly. Device for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Oh damn. So, so for, okay, let's go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. You go ahead. No, you go ahead first. All right, I'll go ahead first. So for anyone that is enjoying um, kind of our review and and recaps and breakdowns of House of X, Powers of X, uh, with me going on vacation and stuff, I kind of just wanted to give our schedule. Um. For what's upcoming. So this. This upcoming Sunday. When we record. We'll probably go over. House of X2. And Powers of X2. Since we have both of those available. If that. If that fits your timeline Nate. It does. And then. Us being able to do that. Means we'll be mostly caught up. We'll still end up being behind a week. Because that'll be the week you're on vacation. Mm -hmm. But then that'll give us a week to play catch up. Which will be fine. Yep, And then we can do two issues when we come back too. If you want. Bingo. That's the best way to do it. I think man. Awesome. Well. uh, Is there anything else major we want to discuss. Before we dive on out of here. I I just wanted to. 
close with a couple things. I'm really enjoying reading this book together. I'm really enjoying um, kind of being... This is my comic renaissance started with this book or, or these two books. So if anyone is enjoying uh, hearing Nate and I kind of babble about them, uh, I, I strongly urge you to pick up these books, support these artists, and um, just enjoy it. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. I didn't think I was going to enjoy it this much. I think I said it last week. It's been a long time since there's been an X-Men story that I was just enamored with. And there's so much, there's so many loose plot threads spread out just between the three books that you and I have read that I am 100% invested into this story and I look forward to finishing it all the way. Me too. Uh, I'm curious, curiosity here. What would you give book two here, or actually, I guess, technically book one of this other series? So I gave book one of House of X a nine out of ten. I think I would give this one an eight. Yeah, I agree. My reasoning for giving it an eight would just fall on the fact that it was a very dense book and not Mm -hmm. a lot of panels. Like, they gave you so much story. Some of which, because we accidentally read Out of Order we understand they're going to further mm-hmm. kind of probably peel those each layer back, and that was just like the preamble to each of those sections we just saw. Right. Um, but, yeah, all in all, the art was great. The story was very solid. They're, again, guiding you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as heavy of a book as the first issue, which was 40-some-odd pages. This was a little bit shorter. It, I agree with you. I think we're in agreement. eight. It was just a little bit drier than... Uh, what we read last week, basically. Just just a little bit dry. Otherwise, I would have ranked it right up there. Because, like I said a couple times throughout the show, the art in this issue is so fantastic that it's hard not to, um, you know, kind of scream that from the rooftops, if you will. <laughs> Give it all the praise mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. Like, I love all your art. I want it on my walls. <laughs> Well, I want my wallpaper to be House of X issue one. <laughs> I just want my house to be the House of M. Like Ooh. like the House of Magneto in Krakoa. But it'd be the House of McLaughlin. Yes. See, you got it. You're picking up what I'm putting I down. I... Oh, I do. I do, in fact, do that. I like that also mentioned that Buckles had a crazy theory that you loved. Mm-hmm. That Hulk essentially is the reason that the multiverse exists. Mm-hmm. Because of his snap. Because every single person, every variant of that person being re-brought back in the five-year time gap would create splintering realities across the, Mm -hmm. literally across the multiverse. It's a very clever way to look at it. And then, like, you have the the whole thing with um, the Russo brothers today said that Nova is in Endgame. Richard Ryder is in Endgame, and somebody might have spotted him, but I can't tell. 100%. I can't tell either. But you know, I'm I'm inclined to believe him or believe the the Russo brothers because you know I sent you that thing maybe a month 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 and a half ago, maybe two months ago, where rather than than the Hulk being the herald of 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 Thanos basically in Infinity War, that originally it was going to be Richard Ryder. So. 
Yeah, they had considered using mm-hmm. him in a bigger capacity. They obviously uh, have have love for that character or see the potential in that character. So if they have sprinkled Nova in there somewhere, that's just you know I don't have anything to complain about it. I hope I hope it's true. Dude, fucking fan theory that just hit me in the brain meets. I know what the post credit sequence for uh, Eternals is going to be. Okay, lay me. So, I don't know how the Eternals movie will end, but obviously it's going to have something to do with Thanos. Mm-hmm. Either them resolving that they acknowledge that he used to be a member of the council or whatever, and that he did this great thing, this great tragedy, and like I don't know if they're going to judge him or go back in past to bring him back to sentence him or some weird shit. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. But, after credit sequence is going to be a scene that we've never seen before. And it's going to be Thanos. It's going to be Sanctuary 2. It's going to be over Xandar. You're going to see the beam come down. You're going to see Thanos and the Black Order fucking devastate Xandar. It's going to be a quick sequence, similar to what you saw happen to Gamora's people, Mm -hmm. similar to kind of what happened on Earth in the first Avengers. And then one of the Xandarian Nova Corps is going to escape to either Earth or Contraxia, and I give reason to believe it could be Contraxia because of what we saw, to give the power of the Nova to Richard Rider, who then essentially is born into the universe. And we have this backstory that supports it because we've never seen how the Power Stone was acquired. Right. So Thanos goes to acquire the Power Stone in Xandar. It also creates the birth of this version of Richard Rider. It all ties in. It all also makes sense when Richard Ryder shows up to kick the shit out of Thanos in that final battle if he really is there because he actually has a vendetta himself. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy who I barely fucking knew gave me his powers, which I'm sure is going to employ and put his memories into Richard Ryder so he understands how to even use the powers. Right. Which means he's going to see this guy's family and the whole nines, and it's going to be tragic. This guy's going to be essentially seeking revenge for a dead person he only knows by memory, mm-hmm. which is weird to say. Yeah, I re- but I think that's going to be a good launching point. Yeah, and I think with with what they've kind of built up with Captain Marvel, having Captain Marvel and Nova both in the universe, I think will be a really good dynamic if Thor takes a back seat for a little while. Which he could. He could be totally a grooving different version of Thor that just gets drunk all the time and hangs out on the Benatar. And eats pizza. I want to eat pizza. That sounds good. I always want to eat pizza. Damn, no. Thinking about pizza. I'm also thinking about that ziti. God damn, that ziti. Put ziti on your pizza. Oh my God, that sounds amazing too. (laughs) Get you some pizza. Then cover it with more cheese. Oh man. All right, well, what do you think? Should we call it a day? I think that's good. Get out of the office. We're already late. It's almost 6 o'clock at night. My time, it's almost 7 o'clock at night. Your time, I know it's barely 6 o'clock your time and barely 5 o'clock my time, but I just wanted to say it because, you know, whatever. But All right, folks, before we get out of here, you guys can always check out the Journey into Comics podcast, journeyintocomics.com. Get the Journey into Comics network on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, and many others. Just search Journey into Comics network or go to patreon.com backslash journey into comics give us your money for something funny sonny i don't know that was a good one give us your one dollar holler and we'll give you some good shit that's what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and i think that's going to do it 
for this week's episode of Journey into Comics. Did you have anything else to add, Tyler, before we get out of here? Nope. Take us home, Nate. All right, buddy. For JIC 257, I have been Nate. And I've been Tyler. And as always, folks, pop your caps back and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys. <laughs>